The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world placed on waivers. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and any other podcast network can claim us as long as they pay our salaries. Yeah, that's that's pretty big. Uh, now, you know, the pressure's on for this episode um, yeah. to kind of prove that we are podcast postseason eligible and for someone else to pick us up. Um, so that we are, are worthwhile uh, to add, you know, we got we got to put our our get, get some some Randall Gritchick energy up in here and really start balling out, balling so that out. teams want to bring us in. Jake, of course, on this episode, this Wednesday episode, we are going to talk about one of the more shocking, uh, embarrassing, hilarious, bizarre developments in the transactional baseball world that we've had in quite some time. The Angels placing six players on waivers yesterday. We are going to have a special guest. Maddie Lee returns to the podcast to talk about the Chicago Cubs, who had a big win last night against the Milwaukee Brewers. Justin Steele was marvelous. Uh, then at the second half of the show, we have a very strange update on the Chicago White Sox stadium shooting situation, which is very just strange. Doesn't even begin to describe that. So we'll check in on that. A couple other call-ups, injuries, news and notes, and the like before we end the podcast and speculate on which team Lucas Giolito is going to pitch for next. But Jake Mintz, let us begin with this grand news involving the the Angels Angels of Anaheim, which Jeff Passan broke yesterday afternoon, um, which is basically that as the Angels season has tailspun to a degree that even us, the largest haters and biggest pessimists in the history of Angels podcast analysis, we didn't think it would get this bad, but it has. And so they have decided to place six players on waivers, irrevocable waivers, which means that don't any revoke team, them. You can't revoke don't, them. Don't no, even think about it. No control Z, no take backs. Okay. <laughs> no mulligans. These no. guys are on waivers free to be claimed. By another team. Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, Matt Moore, Hunter Renfro, Randall Gritchick, and Dominic Leon. Dominic Leon, who Jake practically shit his pants when he found out he was traded from the Mets to the Angels. Now he's going to change teams again. Hopefully, Jake is, is seated and, and strapped in and, and ready for that news. Um, these six players are now available for anybody to claim. Now, not just anybody, the waiver order is 
the order of teams in reverse uh, order of record. Now, that is important because that means that the Braves cannot just add all six of these players. Now, they can submit a claim for all six of these players if they wanted to and wanted to you know, bolster what is already the best roster in baseball, but they would have the last dibs at these teams, at these players, because they have the best record in baseball. And so really, the teams that we are focusing on over the next 36 hours or so, we are not going to find out who made these claims until Thursday, so that is important, is the teams at with the worst records who are still trying to win over the last month. So it's basically kind of the National League wildcard uh, mix and, you know, the Red Sox and maybe the Giants and and so on. Twins, I guess, if we're talking about worst records in that order. So that's who we're talking about. As for where these players are going to end up, we will discuss that on Friday because we are going to find out, okay? But what this podcast is going to be is about the Angels' decision and how we got here and what this means, why they would actually do this to begin with, and just the general fallout uh, from, again, one of the one of the stranger bits of uh, transaction news we've, we've had in quite some time. So I would say 90% of fans are somewhat surprised, maybe not the people listening to this show, but 90% of fans are surprised that players can even change teams after the trade deadline because Mm -hmm. the trade deadline is traditionally thought of as the end. Mm -hmm. After that point, there's a lot less player movement Mm -hmm. and teams have uh, cannot bolster their rosters anymore for the rest Mm -hmm. of the season. Mm -hmm. Now, that is mostly true. This is obviously the the, uh, exception to that rule. Right. Yeah. Now, I think part it's worth saying before we kind of dive into the timeline a little bit. This happens every year and it happens. It's already happened this year. Players have moved big league players from team to team over the last month since the deadline. Ramon Laureano is now on the Guardians. He was on the A's. There are a number of other examples. But what makes this so notable is that the Angels a month ago were pushing all the chips in. And a month later, are pulling them all back right away by putting all their guys on ra- on waivers, <laughs> and not just putting all their guys. Uh, four of the guys that they just acquired, um, right? This is not just the players who are uh, expiring contracts, like Matt Moore and like Hunter Renfro, who are making a good chunk of money. These are players who they just brought in to hopefully help. Uh, propel them to their first postseason berth in many, many, many years. And instead, they're undoing it. Now, the other thing that, especially if you're really unfamiliar with this process, you're thinking, well, what do they actually get out of this? Because as we say, the teams who are you know looking on waivers and in the postseason mix who are going to claim this guy, well, it, you can't make trades. That is still true, right? There's nothing they're getting. They're getting nothing back. What they are getting is salary relief. Now, the first and foremost thing is, who cares, right? What Matt, What do we give a shit about Artie Moreno saving, if all these guys get claimed, $7 million for the remainder of the season? And in general, that is a fair response. And still true. That is the correct response, right? But the, the actual reason, as far as the people in baseball who are following this move can tell, is that the Angels, in making the moves that they made a month ago, for the first time, entered into the luxury tax Barely, okay? And when you enter in the luxury tax, barely, you do incur some penalties, most notably involving the draft, which means that your draft pick, 
uh, and particularly even draft compensation for free agents that you are losing, cough, cough, Shohei Otani, cough, cough, would be a much later pick than it would be if you are not in the competitive balance tax, if, you have, if you've not gone over the luxury tax. So what that means is that by getting under the, the luxury tax, if slash when Shohei Otani leaves and they get a compensation pick, that pick will in all likelihood now come after the second round instead of after the fourth round. Now, if you don't follow the baseball draft, that's fine. That is the difference, of course, of you know 60 or 70 pick spots. But most importantly, it is the amount of money associated with the pick. Picks after the second round usually come with a uh, slot value of around $1 to $1.3 million. Picks after the fourth round, usually closer to 500 k Now, again, these are tiny, tiny, tiny savings in, all, in the grand scheme of things. But if we are accepting the reality that this season is doomed and we've already gutted our, our terrible farm system to a terrible degree and Perry Manassian is thinking about this Obviously, this is mostly coming from ownership, but ownership is thinking about this from how can we possibly salvage any of this and improve our standing moving forward? Technically, this is doing that. Does that make any of this okay? No. <laughs> I, To me, it's reminiscent of the Mets deadline mm-hmm. where is it prudent and an intelligent approach? Yes. Is it incredibly... Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> Is it incredibly embarrassing and an admission of failure? Oh, yeah. And so the optics here are probably worse than the reality of the situation. But for the Angels, if it smells like a shit, it's probably a shit. This is not an organization that has earned itself the benefit of the doubt. And based upon what I've heard around the game, the Angels front office did not necessarily want to go for it at the deadline and Artie Moreno said, you're going to go for it. And now Artie Moreno is saying, you're going to control Z, right? You're going to do your best to undo what we've done before so that I can save some money and so that we can plan for the future. It is just an incredibly embarrassing thing to admit. I had one person in baseball say, it is like, I don't understand how anyone would want to work there like to be in this front office when, you know, it's not just Perry, right? Mm-hmm. There's an entire apparatus of people doing work to make the angels better mm-hmm. who are rational human beings. Mm-hmm. But the, all that work is for nothing when the guy at the top is just pressing buttons to make the decisions. And it makes all of the things you're doing every day feel totally worthless, right? And so I am worried about not like the angels are going to have to rebuild their entire team, yeah. but the brain drain potentially, I know there are only so many jobs in baseball, but like why would any smart person choose the angels as a place mm-hmm. to work over any other organization? It's also just a great reminder as we reflect on how this has ended up in this position and also how we talked about the decision to trade or to not trade Shohei Otani. And I was consistent on this the whole summer, which is just like, it doesn't matter what looks like makes sense. That is irrelevant because we are dealing with, we are observing something and a decision to the level that will entirely have to do with the owner. So while I do believe that Perry was doing his due diligence and was taking calls on Otani because that is his actual job. And if I was in his position, I would be because he had to be ready for Artie to say, fuck it, we are trading Otani, right? He that was that was possible. That was totally in, in the cards, 
right? Being the general manager under Artie Moreno is like being the secretary in, a, in Devil Wears Prada. You just got to be prepped and ready for free. You have anything. to have every scenario. You, every Gotta scenario is, is, is on, on the table. And so while I do believe that, again, and, and this decision is another reminder of how Perry is now basically left to now, I guess, continue constructing a roster both for the rest of the season and moving forward. At the same time, what is also clear is not just a matter of, oh, let's get under the luxury tax. Oh, let's make sure our comp pick is going to be after the second, after the fourth. They're about to try and lose a shit ton of games, right? We've talked about the Mets and how they have, have if we're talking about draft picks, forget the comp pick. I mean, they are now going to be putting out, I'm wearing my Rocket City Trash Pandas hat because that's who's about to be playing for the Angels. And I don't know why Shohei Otani, I mean, God bless him because he's a freak of freaks who loves to ball and he's hitting balls 118 last night still and he's going to keep playing. I love that. That makes me happy. And he, I guess he clearly cannot single-handedly win them games. But like, Mike Trout's not going to play again this year. There's absolutely no way. And the pitching staffs that they're about to roll out and the bullpens they're about to roll out, like it is going to be embarrassing. And the people crying that this should be a grievance that the MLBPA should file against them because of competitive balance. On one hand, I'm like, yes. On the other hand, I'm like, there are plenty of other teams putting out non-Major League Baseball products. So I don't know why this necessarily is different than that. But it is that. This is completely just negligence in terms of competitive balance. And sure, you could say, oh, well, I'm making room for these young players. But like, that's not what's going on here. Uh, yeah, but there will be no grievance because the players that the PA cares the most about are the big league guys and they get to leave the Angels and play for competitive teams and their salaries are maintained. And so that's what I was able to deduce yesterday is that the, like the PA sees this as like specifically not the biggest deal in the world. This that's is not the problem for them. Right. I want to talk about Otani. Sure. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Yeah. But every single thing the Angels have done over the last couple of years has been towards keeping Otani after his free agency, whether that is letting him do whatever he wants, right? Whether that is, I guess, going for it at the deadline, whether that is all the public comments they have, like everyone working with the team whenever they are asked about it, it's nothing but glowing for Otani. This is the first move they have made besides, you know, I guess, badly bad decisions about player acquisition, right? But this is the first move they've made that goes against them retaining Otani. If we accept, and again, I don't think we know what Otani wants, but if we accept that he wants to win and he's a competitor, he wants to win every game that he goes out there for, this is not that. This is embarrassing. This is saying to Shohei, have a great month. And you are right. There is no reason for Shohei to go out there and play baseball for the next 30 days until the season ends. Yeah. And again, we still have no idea whether playing is, you know, putting him at risk of any further or whether if he got the surgery now, he would be able to come. We don't know any of that stuff, clearly, right? That is all going to be, it's a huge story, but we have nothing to add to it. We're just not going to know because there's no way he is going to actually, at this point, it is clear that we are not going to find out what his plans are. But as far as we can tell, as expected, he's just going to go out there and keep hitting because I think that's what he wants to do. He wants to go win the MVP. He wants to go hit 60 home runs and that's fucking awesome. Again, I can't believe that he would be motivated to do it for this team that has put him in this position and playing on this team now for the, for the remainder of the year. But I think he has all the right in the world to play for himself and go try to get the stats and get the MVP and have one of the greatest seasons of all time. God bless him. I'm glad, right? I want to keep watching Otani. So it's not like I want to tell him to go take a seat. Right. But 
logically, it's like even when they've been tailspinning the last month, he could at least say, well, like all these guys are still here. We could go win 15 games in a row. Of course, that was not logic, you know, logical, but this is a white flag in a way that we really is just stunning. We talked about with the Mets deadline how sharp of a U-turn it was from where we were in the winter. I mean, this is <laughs> this is an even more ridiculous version of that. Um, if you want all of this explained to you in written form, I highly recommend what John Becker wrote over at Fangraphs. But let's pivot slightly here, Jordan. I want to make some jokes. <clears throat> oh, please. I hope we explained it to people. But this is also hilarious mm-hmm. because it is a team that you and I spent years telling people, don't believe in them. This is a fraudulent. This is a house of cards. And a month ago, I sat here on this podcast in this chair and I told people, I said, fuck it. Go Angels. <laughs> and I am embarrassed. I was right at the time and wrong at the time. I let my heart get the best of me. Hmm. And I sit now wiser because of it. I will never, I will never learn to love again. Hmm. This team. This team I will never learn to love again. The Angels, you are back on my shit list and I'm sorry. Quote that made me laugh, Jordan. Phil Nevin, after the game yesterday. Oh. Angels man. Oh, oh, this is another important point here. So these guys... Hunter Renfro and Randall Gritchick were still in the lineup. So it's not like when you're DFA'd and you're actually technically off the roster. Them being on waivers is technically not public information. There are guys on waivers right now that none of us know are on waivers, right? But because this is such a unique situation, this is the kind of thing that leaks out, right? The way that it leaked probably is some front office person saw this and texted passing, holy shit, the Angels just put everybody on waivers. (laughs) And then Jeff Passan tweeted, Holy shit. <laughs> the Angels just put everyone on waivers. Uh, shouts out to me, by the way, for on a recent podcast, bringing up the Otani waiver wire bit <laughs> and saying which yeah. team would get Otani. Sure. I knew. I knew. Yeah. I saw that. I, I looked into my crystal ball. I yeah. went, that's a Raven. And also, if this was strictly about saving money, which it is by extension, again, this only works if guys are going to get claimed, right? And so if you're wondering why didn't CJ Crone and Eduardo Escobar and Aaron Loop it's because they didn't think that the team would actually pick them up. Now, maybe those guys are on waivers too, and we just don't know, right? It's possible. Who knows? Uh, but the point is, is that these guys, all the, these six guys, I don't know if they're all locks to get picked up, but it seems, I mean, obviously more Lopez, who have both been fantastic. And, you know, Lucas has admittedly struggled a lot recently, but again, you're looking, anyone looking for a cable, you, you don't usually just get to add a starting pitcher like that at the, at the beginning of September. So I mean, a month a ago, are, a month yeah. ago, Giolito and Lopez got the Angels, you know, second best prospect. Yeah. Two best. And right, now, exactly. They're two and best now prospects, you can basically. get them for free. Yeah. And so exactly. like, you just have to pay them, right? Yeah. You don't have to give up any prospect capital for and, them. And so that is why this is a big deal. I think that's what I want to leave people with. Totally. This is a big deal because a month ago, the price tags on all of these players was way higher than it is yeah. about to be now. And yeah. so teams that are in the mix mm-hmm. are licking their chops mm-hmm. at the idea of getting to add some of these guys. Now, mm-hmm. I, I was talking to someone in baseball yesterday and they were like, well, part of the reason that these guys are available is because they're not actually that good. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, that's kind of true. However, Eddie Rosario won an NLCS. And so any player that has it Mm -hmm. can pop out a hot month and take a team somewhere. Exactly. And all of these guys are on that type of And it's totally right. Of course, we always refer back to the 2021 Braves. It's like you don't have to get the most famous guys to go on a crazy run. And that's true. And it's possible at the end of October, 
none of these guys made any tangible difference on any of these teams. That is very possible. At the very least, the fact that we are about to get notable names changing teams right before September, that is objectively fun. And good uh, podcast fodder is not just the Angels guys that got put on waivers. Harrison Bader reportedly put on waivers. Carlos Carrasco put on waivers. Uh, Mike Clevenger, a couple other guys. Like we, these guys will be on probably new teams. Not all of them will get claimed, but those are are certainly interesting, interesting developments. And of course, the reason this is all happening now is that if you are to be postseason eligible, you need to be in the organization before September first. So I do not believe we are going to know where any of these guys' new teams are uh, or are going to be before Thursday. So I believe this conversation will hold up for at least twenty four hours. But on Friday, Jake, when we are recording a podcast in person together, we are going to have some new players on new teams on September 1st, which uh, is kind of fun. So looking forward to that. But as for the Angels, this is just bleak. And I'm very intriguing, intrigued to see uh, what Perry says next. All right, Jake, we are going to take a quick break. And when we return, you're going to hear a conversation that we had with Maddie Lee, a repeat guest Cubs writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. We recorded this conversation with Maddie on Tuesday morning. So this was before the Cubs uh, broke the Brewers' winning streak. Big win on Tuesday night. Uh, shutout of the Brewers. So it was before that, but we think that the Cubs are in a fascinating place right now in the NL postseason mix, and we thought it was a good time to check in on them. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will return with Maddie Lee. This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of The Smiley Show, a SiriusXM podcast. You want to know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world, and I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman with a very special guest, the twice-named most inspirational player for the Lewis and Clark Pioneer softball team, Maddie Lee. Hello, Maddie. Hello. I honestly didn't know that that was in my bio. It's I'm, on I'm the... It's on the player page right here. That is not why Maddie is joining us, although we do love her college softball career. Maddie is the Cubs writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, and we are interested in the Chicago Cubs almost as much as we are interested in Lewis and Clark College softball. And so we thought, why not have Maddie on to explain the Chicago Cubs to us? Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Manny, thank you so much for joining us. Always, uh, always a pleasure. And we have been fascinated by this Cubs team. I believe since the last time uh, we had you on, they have made they have made a lot of progress. They have confused us, but now, um, despite uh, you know a tough loss on Monday against Milwaukee, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. They are right there. They are in very strong postseason position. They've been one of the best teams in baseball in August. So a lot has changed, of course, since we last had you on. When did you kind of realize during the season, like, oh, I'm covering like a, a good team that thinks it's good and believes it's good and intends to be a good postseason team this year? When did you kind of realize that? That's a good question. It's been a very confusing season, right? Because their May was so bad. I was like, I might be covering a bad team. <laughs> but, but I mean... 
I think they knew that they were good before we knew that they were good, right? Um, and like May, they didn't have Bellinger for a good chunk of it because of his knee, you know, going into the beginning of June. Um, they hadn't figured out what the what their bullpen roles were going to be. That's all shuffled out. I think for me, I didn't know whether they would buy ourselves the deadline for a while. And that was going to determine like whether I was going to be covering a team that was trying to do anything in the second half. And they put off like actually making their first move, like deciding like, all right, for sure, we're going to go acquire talent for a very long time. And so like probably when they went on that eight game winning streak, I was like, okay, they, they can't trade away everyone now. Right. Like that would look insane. And they held the cards, and here they are in the second wild card spot on Tuesday morning. You talk about their – they knew before you knew. If every single professional baseball team in spring training has irrational belief in themselves. They all think they're going to win the World Series. And then over the course of the season, that turns into delusion, right? <laughs> so what's interesting about the Cubs is in May – if you had put a microphone in Dansby Swanson's face and said, are you a good team? He would have said yes, and we would have thought he was deluded, right? Correct. That internal self-belief that the Cubs have had so far this year, where does it come from, do you think? I think Dansby Swanson's a big part of that. Um, I think they have guys who have gone through the rebuild the last couple of years, you know, Ian Happ, Nico Horner, who have seen – the whole progression of the teardown to the talent that they got this off season. And so they could feel something like, okay, this feels different. This feels like we're actually pushing towards something. And then I, they brought in a lot of guys who have just done it before. And so when you have guys in the room who have like won world series before they've been through, you know, you have guys like Dansby Swanson and Jan Gomes who have been on teams that were bad early in the year and then went on to win world series. Mm. And so I think that helps with like making delusion a reality. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Jordan, I wish we had done it before. Maybe the Cubs would have picked us up. Oh, I know. I know. Well, maybe, maybe someday, you know, we'll, we'll win it all <laughs> and, and people will want to bring us in for our, all of our, our veteran know-how. Um, I'm curious about specifically the, the Jammer Candelario edition, because I think what was so shocking about that was not just the Cubs going from maybe they will be sellers to buyers, but for them to end up with Candelario, arguably the best bat available, I, I have to imagine that was a kind of a shocking turn of events, and and it has proven to be fa- a fantastic addition. I mean, he has been everything and more that they could have hoped for. So, can you talk a bit about kind of what led up to that uh, addition and, and what he's been like so far? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the Cubs would have loved to get a little bullpen help at at the deadline too. But like, who wouldn't, Maddie? I, who you know, wouldn't? Who doesn't who need wouldn't? a little bullpen help in this you world? Know, I personally need an extra arm. I, like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to do my taxes. Right. Um, so like that, and that seemed like the biggest pull, but they had their sights set on Candelario and made him their priority. And yeah, you know, they know him well. They know he's comfortable here. It's been fun watching him. He settled in so fast because he knows some guys from actually playing with them 
also he's just like such a nice dude that he knows all of these guys who were like barely in the system when he was in his rookie season like they had just signed you know as international free agents and he's like yeah of course i know christopher morel <laughs> like yeah we're buddies <laughs> um, so he's had a lot of like that made the transition pretty smooth and then obviously he's been hitting really well and so it made a lot of sense both from they knew him but then like positional fit standpoint like being able to have him play third and first has been huge for what they can do just moving pieces around and um yeah it's it lengthens their lineup so much and we've seen that since the trade deadline right because i feel like in the first half of the season the cubs went through like five different eras of first baseman right <laughs> cuz first it was all right i guess it's going to be eric hosmer and yep. then he was ass and then Trey Mancini was terrible, which bummed everyone out. They got yeah. rid of him. And then everyone's clamoring for top prospect Matt Mervis. They fans get their wish. I think that might have been the last time we had you on. And then he it sucked. was right before that. Right? Yeah. And so it's like finally they've settled into this rotation of a little bit of Bellinger and a little bit of Condelario. And is that it? Or is, is Wisdom getting time over there too? Wisdom getting a little time over there, depending on matchups, but it's yeah. mostly those two. Um, I, I mean, especially for a team that's so predicated on defense, to have a first baseman who is very good or to like the range from very good to pretty good is huge, yeah. as opposed to guys who, like, oh, it's not necessarily their strongest point, but we have them over there. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, in, same difference. So the two players on this team who sur survived the entire rebuild are Ian Happ and Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks is the only member who was on the 2016 World Series team. Happ came up the year after. What have they been like emotionally this year? Because they, <laughs> you know, endured being on bad teams and that has happened to tons of players who have been told by front offices, hey, we're going to be good again. We're going to be good again. Only for that day to never come. And for those players to never be on those teams. Trey Mancini and the Orioles is a very, you know, bummer example of this. So I'm curious if what you've seen from Hap and Hendricks this season to finally see like Wrigley rocking again. Yeah. Well, it's funny that it's those two guys because those right? two guys are the ones who show the least emotion. Like, if you're trying to read their facial expressions, you're getting the same thing, no matter what could possibly so, be happening. Are you telling me Hendricks didn't cry at the Morel walk-off? I know. That's shocking, right? Um, but they have, like, talked about how cool it is to see Wrigley really. Because the last time they were in the playoffs was 2020, which was also, like, talking about bummers. Like, A, they played terribly. But then B, just like, okay, cool. Like, feels like another summer camp game. You're right, Maddie. Right. That's why 2020 was a bummer because the Cubs played terribly. <laughs> I mean, That's losing, yeah, That's what losing I a postseason series to the Marlins uh, at home is, is the worst thing that happened that year, for sure. Yeah, if we're, if we're going to rank the awful sure. things that happened in 2020, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's yeah. obvious what's number one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've, they've both talked about how cool it is to be playing meaningful games and have the fan base behind them. Uh, and I mean, you can feel it. It's, it's definitely been different since even right before the trade deadline. Um, I think something 
you know, it's something that guys will certainly have to learn how to use fuel to, as fuel as opposed to like yeah. getting too amped up. Um, but like they're starting to now. So like if if they get any games, any postseason games at Wrigley, good practice. Our favorite moment, Jordan and I, from this Cubs season mm-hmm. was an interview. Not the Christopher Morrell walk-off home run. I know. That's why we're <laughs> fucking freaks. Why, that's why yeah, we're freaks. What? That's why people listen to the show. Um, Mark Leiter Jr. gave an interview uh, post-game about Javier Assad, who was the long man for the Cubs and has since moved into the rotation, where he called Javier Assad one of the best pitchers in baseball. Now, yes. if you are listening to the show and you are not a Cubs fan, you might not know who Mark Leiter Jr. or Javier Assad are. <laughs> and yet here we are asking Matty Lee, what, like, we, one, is, I assume is Javier Assad one of the best pitchers. Is Javier Assad what, or is Mark Leiter Jr. out of his mind, <laughs> or is he just being nice? Well, well. So here's the thing: it's relevant to what you were just talking about, Maddie. Which he says it, and then, I, well, first of all, obviously, we want to know if you were there for this. But the second thing is, like, he follows it up by saying, "To know, like, I've been a long reliever, right?" And he says that is the hardest job. In baseball, right? And to which, you know, we could sort of roll our eyes. I understand what he's getting at, but 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 it's just is an interesting like that was the premise and why he's like My, that but is. But the best so pitcher impressive. in baseball is not the ever the long reliever. Like the Braves unless, aren't like, all right, let's give Strider the third if, through the sixth. Like like Mike Marshall, right? Like Mike Marshall. You'd have to have some reliever from like the 70s or 80s that was going like three and four innings at the end of the game. These, these, these pitchers don't exist anymore, right? The best pitchers in baseball are not long relievers, as Jake said. So, <laughs> Manny, were you there when Mark Leiter said this? And um, maybe we thoughts, can play the clip. Thoughts. And, and, oh, and thoughts I, on this. <laughs> I don't remember if I was actually in the room, but like it, it's a very Mark Leiter Jr. thing to say. Like he, he has been high on Javier Assad for probably since he's known him like we've there's been so many moments where Assad was called on for a spot start or like came back and and is in an important uh, bullpen role and like this that the other and Mark Leiter Jr. has just been his his hype man for all of it um taking fat rips of the Javier Assad (laughs) at every moment um I I I understand what he's getting at in like, it's a bad, it's a very hard, it's the role that nobody wants to have to pitch multiple innings often in like, cause this, these aren't just like mop up innings. It's like also high leverage. And like, if we need you for an inning here or there, like we also would love for you to do that too. And then bounce back quickly. And then maybe we'll give you a couple days before you go in and throw three innings. Like, that's very hard to navigate. And so, like, everyone in that bullpen was so fired up when Javier Assad got, like, is back in the rotation. Promoted. And they were, he got promoted. He got promoted. What? I thought that, that was that he was already the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, well, right, right. he was met. already doing the hardest job, the most important job. So it's weird that he's now being eased into the rotation. But my question is, we assume that Justin Steele is, is the best pitcher on this on this team, right? That seems like a safe assumption. Let's Whoa, say they but how <laughs> Well, okay. Okay, so but there you go, right? So let's assume that if they can line up the pitching as they like in a in a postseason series, which if they're in a wild card series, it'll be, you know, best of three. Let's assume they can line up their pitching. 
Who is starting game two, Maddie Lee? Who is starting game oh, two gosh. if they can decide? Is it Javier Assad? Is it Marcus Stroman? Is it somebody else? Because that is where I'm looking at this group. And I am, is it Jordan Wicks? Is it Cade Horton? Is it Cade Horton? Is it Mark Pryor? Yeah. Is it like, Fergie oh, That would be something. Wow. Wait, wow. Who? I mean, Fergie's around all the time. Maybe <laughs> <Is> <laughs> it's it, not September 1st yet, but put him on the roster. Is it Ryan um, Dempster? You know, like just who, I saw him who, yesterday. <laughs> who is, who is, who is that going? If you had to guess right now, because they've had injuries, they've had disappointing performances from guys like Tyon and, and Smiley. Who, who would you guess right now? And then game well, three too, you know, who would you think? So the big question mark is like, is Marcus Stroman healthy? Um, we're going to get some answers to that. Not necessarily exactly to that tonight. He got checked out by the doctors yesterday. He hasn't started baseball activities. He's been home in Tampa, like resting up and recovering. And they're trying to get like doing whatever he can. But like, how much can you do with a fracture in your rib cartilage? Um, so like that's assuming that he is not back and ready. Uh, probably Kyle Hendricks. Okay. I, all right. I can't so, believe you didn't even even mention the but we went we went all the way to Ryan Dempster and got no. the Kyle Hendricks shout out. <laughs> well, it's good because because that's good because I know Jake wanted to ask about about Kyle Hendricks in particular, and that's a good place to end because he has thrown pretty well. I mean, as once again, I believe he has the lowest strikeout rate of any starting pitcher in the league, or at least in the bottom five. But he has been perfectly solid since he's returned so make the it case is, for him and then one second yeah. it is the type of baseball savant slider that makes the website go round because 98th percentile average exit velocity second percentile fastball velocity 96 percent chase rate four percent extension okay nine percent whiff 96 percent chase rate and nine percent whiff is incredible <laughs> that's incredible so yeah. he is a magician he is averaging 88 miles an hour in his fastball if the cubs let's say they lose game one to the phillies okay in philadelphia justin Steele gets out pitched by zach wheeler they're really gonna roll kyle Hendricks out there against bryce harper kyle schwarber nick castellanos straight turner and co i mean who's who's the alternative the um, best pitcher in baseball. Aside, yeah. But okay. So I, I think well, I agree I think, with you, but I it's it's fascinating. I mean, he's been solid this year um, since coming back. He's looked a lot more like himself. Obviously, the last two years were rough for him, and he's looked so much more like himself. And I think you just trust the experience. Like, if you look at that rotation and you're like, all right, out of all of these guys, who do I trust? to just like walk up there and treat it like any other day and not get rattled at all in the slightest. It's a thousand percent Kyle Hendricks, right? And I think David Ross trusts in that. I think the front office, you know, knows him well. Um and I don't think anyone else has made enough of a case. You know, aside from Marcus Stroman coming back and being healthy and pitching at the end of the seat with like we're running out of time really quickly on that front. Um, I think Kyle, Kyle's the guy. If 
as long as no one else can make a stronger case in the next couple weeks. Uh, I think that is a good a good note to end on. Now I'm going to go marvel at Kyle Hendricks, baseball savant page. Maddie Lee, your work is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us uh, once again. This is always a pleasure. And uh, I mean, you know, roll pios, as they say. So thank you so much for the time. And we'll do this again soon. Thanks, guys. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mitz. That's Jordan Schusterman. If there's one thing that Milwaukee Brewers fans are understandably sensitive about it is people talking too much about the Chicago Cubs and we are guilty of exactly that we wanted to have Maddie on to talk about the Cubs because we are interested in the Cubs however we do recognize that the Brewers are one of the hottest teams in baseball even after their loss last night to the Cubs so we want to make sure we throw our baseball barbacast spotlight on AmFam field and give the Brewers a little bit of love am fam indeed that is uh probably the best rendition of that ballpark of which i have never been i i gotta say i am less excited to go there now for the first time now oh, really am fam but anyway uh the point is is that the brewers before their tough close narrow one nothing loss to the cubs last night they had won nine in a row nine wins in a row which is a lot you can't suck and win nine games in a row, although I guess the A's almost did earlier this season. But how are they doing this? Because I think what is what has underwhelmed me about the Brewers all year is, of course, once again, the offense. I'm looking at these offensive stats, and maybe it is because we have teams with just ridiculously deep groups of hitters, right? When we pull up the baseball reference page and we see the Rangers or the Rays, or the Braves, and you know the Dodgers. It's like, oh my God, they have seven, eight, nine. You know the Orioles, even the Mariners recently. It's like seven, eight, nine hitters with an OPS plus of at least a hundred. And every year, the Brewers, you pull it up, and it's just like one or two guys. It slightly changes every season, but you're just like, how is this team going to score? But for the most part, we could lean back on that holy trinity atop the rotation of Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, and Brandon Woodruff. Last year, we were certainly still able to do that with Burns and Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta was injured and took a step back. This year, Brandon Woodruff was out for a good chunk of the season. Peralta looking better, but Corbin Burns kind of regressing, having his worst season in a few years. But now, the way that these three have been throwing, especially with Woodruff back, I'm looking at this team and I'm like, okay, this is the Brewers. I'm looking at a month in which you know, Willie Adamas has started to heat up again, even though his 694 OPS still looks pretty lame for the season. I am impressed. I understand why the Brewers are in first place still by many games, and I can see that this team could still be a pain in the ass in October. I get it. I get it. I get it. Wade Miley, man. Wade, Wade Miley, Miley rocking that 132 ERA+. plus. Yeah. I was 137, gonna look this up. 137 yeah. ERA plays. He's got a 317 and 93 and two thirds innings. Wade Miley on the Milwaukee Brewers. The the thing, I guess, okay, so if, if you're like, you're, you're talking to a friend, oh, why are the Brewers good this year? William Contreras is, is freaking awesome. That is the coup of the century. What an ad for them. And then Christian Yelich is just looking a little bit more like Christian Yelich. I know he had like a month where he didn't homer, two months where he didn't homer, but still, he looks a whole lot better than he has in previous seasons. 
Yeah, he has been, he has certainly cooled off uh, this month as, you know, Contreras and guys like Tyrone Taylor, who we saw a lot of more last year and Willie have heated up. But like Carlos Santana has done exactly what they brought him in to do. And I would say that the rookies, as exciting as they've been, and they've had a bunch of rookie walk-offs, on the whole, the production has certainly been uneven with guys like Joey Weimer, South Freelake, Bryce Terang. But it's still like a fun enough group. And again, like there's enough new faces and they're making, you know, defensively, they've certainly improved. It's just, it's just enough. It's just enough. But here's my problem with the Brewers. Yeah. I can't really picture them winning the World Series. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and that's not their fault. That's because the Braves and the Dodgers exist, right? <laughs> right? And maybe this is a stupid thing for someone who thinks a lot about the Phillies to say who are just as good as the Brewers record-wise. They're, like, right there, you know? Like, it's not just about winning the World Series. We've just seen this type of Brewers team do this before. Maybe I need someone who's around the team to explain to me if this group is different, why they are different. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Brewers have been, overall, as good as I think everyone expected them to be heading into the season. Yeah, they just don't have like the Cubs aren't quite at their level, I think, and the Cardinals totally fell flat, and so they just kind of have a nice, comfortable lead in the division. Yeah, and you know we'll see what happens in the the rubber match this afternoon at Wrigley Field. The Brewers do play the Cubs one more time at the end of this season at home in the final, the final season, uh, final series of the regular uh, season. So. I, I still like their chances. Again, I, I've been impressed enough. Like I was so milk toast on them. Now I'm at least like, okay, Brewers, I get it. I get it. I'm not that excited, but I understand. I understand uh, how how this team is where uh, where where they are. So credit to them. Uh, Jake Mintz, you just mentioned the Phillies. Can we quickly talk about Bryce Harper <laughs> and the pandering champion of the world? But also, it is a combination of pandering and genuine love for his adopted home city. Bryce Harper, who is just crushing the ball this month. Oh, my God. Not just like, wow, the numbers are good. The underlying data is crazy. He had a home run last night, I believe, 115 exit velo, the hardest ball he's hit in like four years. After the game, he said that he was, you know, listening to Sports Talk Radio, and he heard a guy named Chuck talking about how much he loved Bryce Harper, and he's like, I got a homer for Chuck. Apparently, this guy Chuck is like, the man and is calling into Phillies Sports Radio all the time. And everyone's like, oh my God, Bryce talked about Chuck after the game. <laughs> and it's just like, he's truly finding ways every waking minute to make this city love him more. All that matters, of course, is that, you know, he's slugging 700, 800. He looks like one of the best hitters in the world again. But uh, man, he's just making it even more than uh, it, it needs to be. And I love that. I love that for Bryce. I love that for Philly. I have gotten to talk to Bryce a couple times this year, which I had not in the past. And he has said to people around the Phillies that he wants to be treated like a regular guy, that he wants reporters to feel comfortable approaching him. Let me say, I was legitimately intimidated the first time I interviewed Bryce Harper because it's Bryce Harper. Mm -hmm. You know, he is on a different planet, if that makes sense. And so uh, for him to be like, treat me normal, it's like, okay, man, like, it's, all right, Kate Middleton, you know, all right, Harry, Prince Harry. Like, it's just not how that works. However, 
his this type of thing is like hi listen to WIP like I I am a Philadelphia native uh, live I'm a Philadelphia citizen just like all of you Bryce knows exactly what he's doing he's very smart I love it no notes pandering is good I think pandering is good if no one gets hurt yeah no it's it's fine um, and it's it's convincing uh, like I I don't think it like I don't think he's fa- like again I think some people mis like mislabel this as like not genuine like i do believe he is leaning all the way into this it's still pandering to be clear yeah he just wants to be (laughs) relatable to the people who are cheering for him that's all it is like i don't think it is fake or fraudulent in uh yeah it's not like he's going home and he's like oh like philly sucks (laughs) like he obviously does love it it's just like all these different little moments and anecdotes are just like so intentional i mean honestly the best example is lebron to be honest, right? This is another good example of like, this is just like LeBron. Every single thing he's saying is incredibly intentional. <laughs> so, uh, but hey, it's working. So bless him. God bless him. Let's pivot from the Phillies to this hilarious White Sox story, Jordan. Oh my God. We came on the show on Monday and we were very serious about it. And maybe we should remain serious about it. Serious and, and confused. Confused. And I perplexed. think that's actually still true, but Maybe some less seriousness, but also still some concern at the very least. Uh, a couple people at the White Sox game were struck by a bullet last week. We assumed uh, incorrectly, it turns out, that it was some sort of stray bullet from the area. No, we learned yesterday. Watch, Jordan. Can you read this directly from the uh, from the article? Because it is yeah. it deserves to be copied and pasted here. Yeah, uh, this is one of the strangest tweets I have ever read. In my life. So, and that's saying something to think about how many tweets we read on a daily basis. Unfortunately, think about how many tweets we read. Um, And this general story has essentially been verified by Chicago police. But this is uh, from Peggy Kaczynski, who is, uh, I believe, a radio host in the Chicago area. As I reported on ESPN 1000 just now. The shooting at Guaranteed Rate Field during a White Sox game was indeed an accidental discharge by one of the women, quote, grazed by the bullet. Okay. Already like, what? Accidental discharge by someone who brought a gun into the baseball game? I'm already like, what is happening? That's if the tweet ended there. If the tweet ended there, I'm like, this is very troubling. I'm so confused. What the hell is going on, right? But there's another sentence, Jake. Peggy continues. She reportedly snuck the gun in past metal detectors, hiding it in the folds of her belly fat. Period. So, how do we know this? (laughs) This is the kind of thing that is so absurd, you quite literally could not make this up. So I think we know this because the woman who was struck by the bullet is also the woman who hid the gun in her belly fat. And so when they interviewed this woman, presumably at the hospital, and they said, what happened? She said, oh, well, I brought my handgun in and I put it in my belly fat. There's no way that the words belly fat were added to this conversation by anybody but the woman herself. Now, why she was putting a handgun in her belly fat, that is, I don't know. You, Jordan, might not be 
There might not be a person on earth less qualified to talk about this than you, considering you have never touched a handgun and you have absolutely zero body fat. So this this is just it's it's, you know, alien behavior to me in every possible sense. Um, the, it's just so now the obvious takeaway is how is anybody for any reason fan just sitting in the bleachers able to bring a gun to a ballpark, right? That's the number so one. Like what whenever I hide a gun in my belly fat, <laughs> I make sure that the safety's on and it's not loaded. You know, that's, I believe you're taught that when you do safe, uh, when you learn how to shoot a gun, Jordan, like gun yeah. care. You, oh, if sure, you hide sure. it in your belly fat, you got to turn off the safety. I mean, that's one-on-one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, no, just, just the most, um, troubling, just everything about this is so funny, so, so disturbing, so upsetting, and thank goodness nobody was actually seriously injured. Correct. Because of anything having to do with this. Um, I would say best case scenario, considering where this story was on Monday, like if we're going to accept that two people were un, not seriously harmed. By a gunshot inside of a baseball stadium, right? Right. <clears throat> Woman hiding it in her belly fat, self-inflicted, is a is like that's maybe best case scenario once you've accepted that first and, line. And, and and most importantly, if we haven't made this clear enough, a best case scenario we did not, we could never have dreamed of, never could have fathomed. Like, oh, right when we were talking about this originally, it's like, what is the most generous, hopefully not terrifying interpretation of what happened here? And somehow, this is the answer. Moving on to a few more baseball topics before we say goodbye, Jake. We're never you're never going to believe this at um <laughs> guaranteed rate field someone snuck a no. shotgun in no. under their butt fat. <laughs> I know how big shotguns are. That's not possible. Don't Someone's, be making Someone oh. put a ninja star under their armpit right. at now Lone we're Depot just doing, Park. I mean, but this is the thing, right? Like now you're you're leaving yourself up to Mad Libs that nobody wants to partake in. Holy uh, shit! Jake, Sorry, I this is a- just coming across my timeline now. It appears a Mariners fan dragged a surface-to-air missile in to T-Mobile Park underneath yeah. uh, in their left jean pocket. Jake, uh, I have a grab bag of, of baseball topics here listed on our on our uh, podcast document. Uh, which ones do you want to mention uh, briefly? Because Alex Cobb are important. Yeah. Alex Cobb, a near no-no on Tuesday night. Giants against the Reds. Throwing a no-hitter at the Giants stadium is pretty impressive to me or getting close mm. to it. I know we've seen a couple of them, but there's so much space in the outfield, man. Like any dink or dunk is usually just a single. And so for someone to get that deep in the game is awesome. The play... The, the the play that lost it, it was with, you know, two outs in the ninth, was a double in the gap. Mm-hmm. And the right fielder was probably playing further in than they would at another stadium. Mm. Now, granted, like, I'm not saying, like, pitchers probably love pitching there because it's so big and there are no home runs. Mm-hmm. But I, that definitely played a role. I love that the Giants essentially just acted like he threw the no-hitter. Afterwards, like they just celebrated for Alex Cobb in the locker room and all the tweets were like, Alex Cobb's the man. So there was really no difference between him getting it or not getting it. Yeah. And you mentioned, right, the spacious outfield. You know, Austin Slater makes just an absolutely ridiculous play coming in to seemingly save it in the eighth. Spencer Steer with 
uh, I mean, it was it was a well hit double to right center, so it is what it is. But hey, the fun couple nights for the Giants. They got Kyle Harrison's home debut, and then thirty five year old Alex Cobb almost throwing a no hitter. So uh, Giants still continuing to confound us. Also in the NL West, um, I saw this last night, and because the Dodgers were kicking the D backs' ass, I was like, no one's going to mention this. But like Corbin Carroll just hit a home run off Clayton Kershaw's curveball. That doesn't happen ever, and indeed. It basically hasn't. Only the third time Clayton Kershaw has allowed a curve, uh, home run on his curveball to a left-handed hitter, joining the iconic Matt Adams homer in the 2014 NLDS. All the Dodgers fans being like, too soon. Why are you mentioning that? It's like, sorry. Too like, soon? It's like, first of all, it's been 10 years. Second of all, Clayton Kershaw has a ring. Third of all, like, you're going to be okay. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. Also, this is a compliment to Clayton Kershaw. The fact that he, since that, he has only allowed now two home runs to left-hand hitters on his iconic curveball. The first one's Charlie Blackman, but this one from Corbin Carroll. He is just a freak. And he was kind of cooling off at the end of July, early August, and it was like, oh, he's finally struggling. Not the last couple of weeks. My goodness. He is wrapping up this Rookie of the Year award very, very, very easily. Now Matt McClain's hurt. He is just going to run away with it. Um He's he's outstanding, man. He is uh, he is one of the best players in baseball. Uh, <laughs> one call up, which I'm excited about, is Red Sox outfielder Sedan Rafaela, former Little League World Series participant. Sedan, oh, yes, Sedan, like a yes. four door sedan. Uh, maybe it's Sedan, um, but I believe it is just Sedan, 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 Zinedine Sedan. <laughs> yes, exactly, Zinedine Sedan. This guy is a very interesting player, not just oh, yeah. because he played for the Curacao Little League team in 2012 in Williamsport, but also because he's just got crazy, crazy, crazy numbers in the minors this year, power-speed combination. And Jaron Duran is out for the year getting surgery for turf toe. That's very strange. You can get surgery for turf toe? That is what I saw. So he's out. They call up Rafaela. And, uh, you know, joining the mix of, of young Red Sox hitters with Tristan Cassis, Trevor Story came back. Red Sox, still the team in the in the playoff mix that I'm just really not paying that close attention to. But this is certainly a player I am excited to watch on a daily basis. Los Angeles Dodgers going for a World Series title. They're also going for the title of most injuries fucking ever. Tony Gonsolin, who hasn't pitched in a couple weeks, announced that he's going to need Thomas Johnson surgery with a torn UCL. He'll be out for most of next season. Another blow to the Dodgers, who will surely win the World Series anyway. Speaking of injuries, Toronto. Yes. Bo Bichette yeah. and Matt Chapman both hurt. The Blue Jays went and got Paul DeYoung at the deadline to back up Bichette when he was hurt with a different injury. Then they jettisoned him on waivers. Waivers. Yep. Waivers to the Giants. Uh, and then Bichette got hurt again. And so they are going to really mix and match things at shortstop until he gets back. Some Ernie Clement, some Santiago Espinal. It'll be sort of a hodgepodge. However, none of that matters because Davis Schneider is the greatest baseball player we've ever seen. Holy crap. Yeah. And, you know, Davis Schneider, will he sustain the 1421 OPS through his yes. first? Yes, he will. Thanks games? for listening. Yeah. yeah, he will. He will. But Blue Jays still finding ways to lose. Davis Schneider now has matched Alejandro Kirk's home run total on the season. That's a bad thing because and, uh, Alejandro uh, Kirk was supposed yeah. to be a key part of that offense. And then yeah. last topic, just to briefly mention, Michael Brantley is back. Feels like he hasn't played 
since before the pandemic. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, he has been injured, I think, since the beginning of last year. Yeah, June. June. He last played at the end of June of last season. So it was not a part, of course, their World Series run a year ago. But he is what he essentially has become in recent years is just a pain in the ass to pitch to. He has very little power left. He is obviously a non-factor defensively, although they're still putting him out in left field. But he will still get up there and foul off a bunch of pitches and work a walk and just be a total nuisance. And that is still a very valuable thing to add to a lineup at this time of year. So that is a big addition for the Astros of Houston. Those are your news and notes. That is the podcast. We have done it, Jake. We have done another podcast. When we return on Friday, many of these players will have new teams. So that will be an interesting mini hot stove, even though it's really fucking hot out. Jordan Uh, Schusterman, on Monday, you and I will be doing the podcast together in Washington, D.C. On Friday. Friday, yeah. Sorry, Friday. Uh, The Nationals on Friday will be hosting the Miami Marlins. Will Lucas Giolito be in D.C. as a member of the Miami Marlins? As a member of the Washington Nationals, Jake. Oh, Oh, we will see. Open your fourth eye, baby. Remember when Bob Nightingale was like, the moment of truth will be revealed. That is tomorrow. I'm so, so, so excited and can't wait to find out. But until then... Uh, thank you all for listening. You can email hey, us at subscribe, baseball, yo. at gmail.com. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Rate and review this podcast if you've Do enjoyed it. it. We've enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed it as well. Yes, Jake and I will be recording together in person on Friday. Uh, we'll probably be doing a mailbag for Labor Day on Monday because we won't be recording live on Monday. But the pods roll on. The news keeps coming in. We appreciate it. We're having a good time. I also just wanted to mention, thinking of all the folks on the Gulf Coast, because there is a very serious hurricane that is reportedly uh, about to hit Florida and the neighboring regions, like essentially right now. So hopefully that is not as bad as it looks. Um, So just wanted to mention that. But thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you on Friday when Lucas Giolito is on the White Sox again. Nationals. Sirius XM Podcasts. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.